How you been, man? It's been a uh, been ages. Yeah, it feels been, like. Yeah, no, it's been like two, like less than two weeks. <laughs> like I just saw I know. you, like <laughs> I know <laughs> on on to like ten days ago. Like ten days ago, like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. It feels like it was forever ago. To be honest, it was only ten days, but like if you, it seems like a lifetime has passed almost. Yeah, life comes at you fast. Like work, yeah, work, man. That's what that's what it is. I think work has gotten me like in this time vortex now. That must be what age is. I think like you know your weekend is like super short and then your work day is super fat week is like super fast but also slow in the process but like when you look back on it it feels fast and then like eventually that just becomes the norm for everything or something because i've gotten used to that feeling you know and now i'm like oh man like august 20 that was like ages ago that was before i was even teaching is in my mind right which i feel like i've been teaching already for longer than like what 10 days or not even it's probably been less than that it's been like six days that's just crazy yeah as as uh time always always moves slower when you're younger because you don't have any frame of reference the older you get the faster things go yeah it's fucked up uh, isn't it (laughs) that's why older people are always in a rush if you've ever noticed that like they want to oh yeah like do do stuff get on to the next thing well hey have you had um you had time to uh decompress and, and reflect back on our time at rootcon yeah that was a whirlwind yeah, like, I'm curious what from, your like from, just big uh, takeaways are. My big takeaways are that the root community is great. Oh hell yeah! Like all the stuff was um, there's very very few negative interactions the whole time that we were there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, almost all positive. Yeah, like everybody's friendly. Everybody's like middle aged. Like everybody's for the most part like not kids. Like, yeah, I yeah. Know there's some conventions that you might go to, and it's like all teenagers or all very young people. Yeah, yeah. And this wasn't that. Like people, people there were very like peer, like peers. I want to say, yeah, right? like, like within we, we four knew... or five years, it felt like on either side. Nobody was like shooting from the hip. We all knew what we were there to do and have fun and how to, how <laughs> yeah. to do that. Like nobody, nobody got too drunk. Like nobody right. got lost and like didn't show up on the second day because they ended yeah, up somewhere. If, if I was in my 20s, right. that absolutely would have happened to somebody in my group. Like, <laughs> we would have just lost somebody. Oh, yeah. And, like, they're just like, oh, where's Matt? And I'm like, oh, I left him at a bus stop because he said he needed to go somewhere. <laughs> and we haven't seen him since. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, that's guess we'll find him. Happened. Yeah, I guess he'll show up or not. I don't know. Like, he knows what the plan out is. Uh, yeah. But that didn't happen. Every, everybody's very, very friendly. I, I do think Nev might have gotten too drunk. Or maybe it was SP. But yeah, he also even, has food poisoning, so it's hard to say. Because Apple yeah. told us that, uh, yeah, yeah. But even then, they were still like adult about it, and I, like you know what I mean. It sounds like it was an accident, as opposed yeah, to like I yeah. just, they went like too hard and were like obnoxious or whatever. Like he was like, I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> so yeah, like it wasn't. There, there's no no. If, if there was a story, it was like yeah, somebody got too drunk, and then the story ended right there. If this was like, yeah, and they just went to bed. Ago, like yeah. If this is 15 years ago for me, that's the beginning of the story, not the end of the story. Yeah, same. That, exactly. Yep. So that deal didn't happen, and that was good. That is and good. Yeah. Portland's a great city, and I enjoyed I enjoyed my time there. And we're actually going to go back, um, see see the friends that we made, or not made, but the, the ones that you like met up with and stuff. Yeah, I remember yeah, you saying you met up with some people. That yeah, you knew. I met yeah, up yeah. with um, a guy and his wife who we me, me and my uh, my friend V were mm-hmm. out with me. Uh, she was so nice by the way she was so friendly yeah she's she's awesome yeah she's wonderful 
she was so willing to just like handle it she was like oh i can like she was like yeah i'll jump in i'll try it like she was very uh what's the word amenable to like new stuff you know what i mean like she she learned root for the first time like with a bunch of us which is crazy she was like yeah i'll try this yeah i'll try that i'll go wherever like very friendly very open to just like kind of go with the flow which you know i mean that's that's tough when you're i don't know how many people she knew there except you maybe but it's tough when you're like at a a place like that yeah that's hard like having no other connection except like because you know worst case if, if none of us knew each other going i was thinking well worst case we would play root with people and we would just like see root everywhere and just talk to them and then the people who were like nice back or who were chatty back we would just stick around with maybe and like it would have been equally as fun or maybe even like different maybe but still like i think the fun would have been sweet in terms of like our time there right so like the fact that we also had each other to hang out with just made it brownie points like it was even better you know i was like so like she she came into it like that but didn't even really know root and still was like with it and like had a good time like that's just props to her like that's awesome (laughs) yes absolutely also, the community is great. Like everybody's friendly. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're all we're all down to meet new people and and hang out, play games, and she played oh, a bunch yeah. of new games and she had a good time. I kept checking in with her to make sure she's okay, and she's totally fine. Awesome, um, hell yeah, good. Our hell positions yeah. were reverse. Like, I'm a, I'm like I'm a fish out of water. At least I knew <laughs> people. I'm I'm really 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 introverted. Oh, I gotcha. It took me like a week to to actually get my energy back after I came back. Oh shit! Yeah, see the intro. That's I don't know if there's like an actual official way that you can tell other than like a personality test. But my wife and I have stuck with the state, the thinking like the way that you charge is the thing that you are. So yes. like you can be like, for example, I'm introverted, which is always blows everyone's mind. They're like, what? Hold on, wait. No, see, no, 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 no. see, yeah, no, listen, wait. see, this is what they're. This no, is how wait. they react too. But this, so, so I am an extroverted introvert is what it's called i am i like function well and seek out social stuff but if i don't have the uh, like opposite time to be alone then i get drained and sick and like can't function and then my social shit turns into like cranky and you know what i mean like i like i need the introverted alone time in order to be able to like recharge and like get back to my sort of like stasis and i can be introverted and not talk to anyone for weeks at a time also like it's it's i'm, I'm it's very strange because it always strikes especially because i'm a teacher right so it always strikes everyone as confusing because it's like wait really and they yeah, respond yeah. just like you did but yeah like if i had, didn't have time to like the way i recharge and like kind of collect myself is like quiet and alone so that i can then do you know whatever it is it's pretty crazy. Yeah, like could have fooled me. Like yeah, every <laughs> table we were at, I wasn't kidding when I called you a table captain. Like you're the yeah, one yeah. doing all the talking. Like eighty percent of the talking is you. At at our semifinal game for for our listeners who don't know. Yeah, yeah. We in the semifinals against each other, and which was amazing, great. by the way. That was so funny. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, I'm a decoy. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, and we we also had uh, we also had Thuy, and yep. oh Shouts. my gosh, we played a great game. And I think. Uh, Matt, older guy Matt. Oh yeah, yeah. Saluna I forget. Was also there. Oh yeah, Saluna. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun I game. Played, yeah, I played play digital with occasionally. I'm in a in a digital game with them right now. Anyways, oh, nice. yes, that was a great that was a great game, and everybody was like talking, negotiating, chatting, and then like it's you, mostly you, 
<laughs> and then you leave for like five minutes to go to the restroom and it's dead silent. Like really? nobody says a word while you're gone. Uh, and then you come back and it's all conversation again. And I take it that you did the same exact thing in your, uh, in your, your finals game. Since it was the semifinals, you beat me and then you went to the final, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was um, again. I mean, it was, there were a few more of us um, that were like kind of chatty, I would say, I think, um, but I, I do think that I sort of was, a, I was a part of everyone's conversation. There was never a moment when people were talking and I wasn't also a part of the chat that, that was happening, but I wouldn't, I don't know that I was like the most talkative per se, other than that. Like if you, if you kind of like, you know, there were definitely like a lot of interactions and a lot of chatter, for example, not to spoil, but I'm sure it's out by now, by the time this comes out. Um, and the finals, I was out to a huge lead and I was the Badgers. So of course, like that was dangerous and, and uh, everyone was like, all right, well, uh, other than you, me, other talking about me, right? Other than you, Squid, what are we going to do about this situation? And everyone, basically, they were like, you're not going to bullshit us because we know that you, that you're like, you're winning or whatever, right? So like, not, not this, not like in a mean way, but they're basically like, you shut up so we can figure out how to stop you from winning. <laughs> so yeah. like, there were moments like that when I obviously wasn't talking, but um yeah, yeah, we saw that. So while you were while you were in the finals, we were we were on the floor playing Nemesis. It was me, yeah. me, JC, Rehab. I think V was playing too. Oh, and nice. Might have had one other person. I don't remember. Stacy, Stacy was playing as well. Oh yeah, and nice. uh, and they had it up on the TV screen, so they had they had a feed that they're gonna yeah, yeah. do for the the video whenever they release it. I think along with yeah. sound, we didn't have sound. So they just had that up on the screen and we're like, oh, everybody's like, they had announcements, each person who they're playing. Yeah. And then we see the the board and we can't see the player boards, we can just see the map. And right. we see everybody's score markers just like inching along there. And then the stream goes out and it went out like two or three times. And sure. it pops back up and all of a sudden you're at 23 points or something. <laughs> and everybody yep, else is still like less than 10. And we're like, oh yeah. my god, who's piloting Badgers and who made this enormous mistake to jump out to a huge lead? And really, yep, we don't have me. any context for anything. And we look yep. at the thing, and we're like, oh, it was Mark. Of course, he jumped <laughs> out to a lead. Now he's gonna lose. Like, look at his score marker. Yep. To, to a few people, and I was like, is it twenty-two or twenty-three right now? He's gonna get over the next hour and a half. He's gonna have one or two more points, and that's gonna be it. Yep. And everybody's nice. gonna catch up. And that's exactly what happened. Like, you just see it. Like, we just check in because we're playing our own game. And every 15 minutes or so, I'd be like, hey, look, his score marker still has a move. He's still stuck. I don't see him on the board. Um, It was a good time. Yeah, it was was a great game. Um, And I think, I don't know, like, I guess, I, I don't know that it's anything in particular that, like, I consciously do. Like I'm not sitting there. I'm not sitting here thinking like, "Oh, I need to like talk uh, like during this game or whatever." Right? I'm just sort of like reading the board state, and I just read aloud, basically. So I just read the board state out loud, and like you know, like to engage with other people who like root. So I think that sort of comes across in games, and I think I do it in like non-competitive games too, and even non-root games probably. Um, and I mean, you've played with me enough to to know or to think it's bullshit or whatever, but. Like, I don't sit, there, like, in our semifinals game, I wasn't sitting there consciously, like, all right, I have to, like, find a way to table talk into this happening. I'm just sort of like, hey, here's what I see, and here's kind of, you know, the board state as I see it, and how you potentially should see it is sort of my only thought, right? And it, 
And I guess I do it like during the whole game, not just like during one person's turn who I'm trying to convince of something, you know? And then like, it comes across later, people then like, cause I didn't think of it that way. And then you and Thuy and somebody else were like, oh, the table captain's back. So now we can talk again or something, right? I think it maybe wouldn't matter or something. And I was like, oh, you guys, I don't mean to like, you know, steer the ship. Like that's not the intention, you know, but, but I that guess is yeah, how it happens people, that way. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of people play Rue just like that. And yeah. It's specifically for a reason, so they can control the narrative. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. The more you talk about things from your perspective, the less other people talk about things from their perspective. So that's how that works out. That's how that that functions, like functionally in in how other people are perceiving you. Yeah. Um, And I do the exact opposite. If you notice, like I have noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm silent (laughs) the whole time. You absorb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless there's something that is is really really important that nobody else has pointed out, like I will say something if it's if it's mission critical, like if right, there's the yeah. exact right turn that we need to hit moles because they only have four moles in two buildings, we need to go do that right now. I will interrupt you, like that's right. Hey, it. hey, hey, that's <laughs> it. Hey, stop! Don't do what you're doing. Do this instead because that's here's more why. important than whatever game plan is, and this is why. Yeah, I will yeah. do that. Or if someone's about to like lose the game. If it's a friendly game, I'm like don't yeah. don't do that. You're actually just gonna you're gonna lose. Yeah, you're gonna throw if, <laughs> if this happens. So you probably should not do that. Right, um, right, right. Or specifically, if it's me, like don't attack me because then I'm out of the game. And I feel like that carries more weight because I don't say that. Say it as much. Game. Yeah, like, exactly. Once, exactly once during the entire game. If I'm if I feel like I'm about to get knocked out. And I think I both like, as I don't work talk, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like different. It's different different flavors of strategy. Yeah, I think they so. Work, they work better and they work worse. The thing that I really should have like, and like my my root game is full of holes. There's lots of things I'm not good at. Sure. I'm okay at table talking, but I really need to work on is end game table talking because I still don't talk, and that's ah uh, like on coming that, alive in the end game. Yeah. Yes, and making sure because it's all the little things at the end game that end up determining who wins and loses. Yeah. So if I had been paying attention, like really, really carefully paying attention. And I looked at the board state on our last turn where you're attacking yep. uh, uh, rats. Warlord. I think. Yeah. Yep. You attacked his single clearing yep. for yep. one point first. If I was looking really carefully, I would have told him to ambush if he had ambush one. this one. Yep. This one, the one you attack first. And because I didn't do that, I probably lost that game. Like it had yep, to get all I... the way back around to me because you, you stop it. If, if he ambushes correctly, you stop at 29. 29. Yep. I didn't have and a 30th then, point. Yeah, I think I think Saluna on moles was short, like just. Short. I think so. Yeah, and Birds maybe would have had it, or no, he had just turmoiled, so he wouldn't have had yeah, it. Yeah, he just yeah. turmoiled, so like he needed two more turns. Like he didn't have a setup; he had an empty decree, so that yeah. probably wasn't. <clears throat> so and rats would have had to kill you, basically. Yeah, you. but but you can't yeah. do that. Like I had been sitting on like twenty six points. Yeah, you were just biding your time, like, like three I, turns I had, in a row. <laughs> yeah, like I was waiting for three turns. I could have got to twenty nine, a couple of times. Like twenty eight and twenty nine points, and then immediately lost. Because I would have had the battle points. Because you would have had the battle points, and I didn't have that much, that many ambushes or any ambushes whatsoever. Yeah. And yeah, there was you weren't stopping if it got back around to me, and there's a good chance Saluna might have had it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember now. I wish I we'd taken like, oh, I wish we'd like an end of round turn photo or something. Yeah, like, like they, they said time, that they cause... did have it, and then they didn't have it, and they kept looking at the boards, so like they might have had it, but. Yeah. Suffice to say, if I was paying attention, I was actually good at this game. <laughs> I could have won that game, but I didn't because I'm not good at this game. 
But then you get to play Nemesis, right? So that's a win. Yeah, and then we got to play Nemesis, so everybody and, wins. And playing IRL Nemesis is pretty sweet. It's the first time I've ever seen it, and it was uh, it was pretty fun. I have to admit, is I like the game already, and like playing it in real life added a lot of, um, like we talked about it in the betrayal episode, right? Like the narrative, and we'll I mean we're covering Nemesis soon anyway, um, so it's a little bit of like a preemptive thing, but there's so much narrative uh requirement in some of these some of those games right like you were saying with the nemesis it's a story you know the story of the game is oftentimes more fun and more interesting than the game itself and betrayal is definitely that way it's like all about the narrative like we talked about and it's just interesting that uh those are the one like that seems to be true in more and more games when i like sit down and think about it like oftentimes you look at a game i feel like in general somebody might look at a game like oh okay like let me figure out the mechanics let me figure out the the strategy let me figure out the you know the x and y the the pressure points on the action economy or whatever like in nu- uh, nucleum that we played yesterday right and then uh i feel like oftentimes at least in my experience with people i've played with and the game the way i think about games i'm starting to think about it differently now which is all of these games even ones that aren't narrative story driven still have such an important at least the good ones still have such an important like narrative pull to them that really help shape the ones that I like. And I think that the average person feels like they like, and I don't know that they necessarily consciously think about it that way, but I feel like a lot of the best games that people keep playing have that similar quality to them in like some capacity or in some form. And that's such a like thing I, I would have never anticipated like, Oh, this board game, the theme and the story and the narrative of the game is what's going to bring you back to it. Like, because it's not an RPG and it's not a, you know, a book, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a fascinating thing that designers can do that. And almost yeah, like sneak, there's almost like they're sneaking it in, in a way, like, cause it's not something I expected at least is what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and this, this manifests in all different sorts of ways. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of my favorite game moments are these, these unscripted narrative moments, which yeah. is like a little bit of a problem <laughs> with, with uh betrayal. Cause it's basically all scripted or not. Yeah. Scripted, the scripted it's close. It's though. like, it, like there's goalposts like you just pass the goalposts and then stuff happens yeah and you as players get to decide what to do between those but you're still fighting a mummy or right, right. the house is collapsing or something else is going on you're all ghosts yeah and you kind of have to to fit to that story versus something like nemesis where you get to choose entirely what the story is almost and even something like dune dune imperium mm-hmm. has funny little things where you can say yeah i'm i'm, I'm playing duke Lido and i just bought lady jessica of course i did <laughs> yeah friend. like yep, that's exactly <laughs> yeah that's neat or oh looks like um looks like the beast got lady jessica that's not good that's not that's, good at all yeah that's, that's not good at terrible. all <laughs> yeah if you think about it for a second yeah um, and that then that combo is actually pretty scary too like in yeah, real life, like, so. Lady Jessica is yeah. actually just really, really, really good. Yeah, she's pretty dangerous in any combo. She's one of the one of the best cards anyway. So yeah, <laughs> to kind of segue, I think we can keep talking about RootCon periodically because that was such a good time, and we'll have a RootCon story with Sheepy Time our our episode today uh, very soon. But I feel like the narrative story that Sheepy Time is telling is maybe one of the like most recognizable like average person recognizable as in like everyone's sort of like, Oh, I know exactly what this is and you can place, place it, uh, which is kind of a huge boon for it. In my opinion, just for like getting people to the, like getting people to the table, I guess is what I mean. Right. Cause oftentimes 
at least for me, as I don't have a consistent board game group that's not that's it that's in real life. I have my my did the digital. I have you guys right that I play with all the time, but I, I don't have like a group that's consistent. And my neighbor is actually we're going to start one after they get married. Um, but like one of the big sort of things, I guess, for me potentially setting up and starting something like that is like how to know which thing in which setting with which people is going to like get to the table the most and just like what to start with and all like all that stuff. Right. And I feel like there's potentially a case to be made with this game because of that recognizability. So I was kind of like, Oh man, that's interesting. Right. Cause like this narrative stuff ties almost right into that. Right. Because like the narrative is almost universally recognizable. I feel like. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows about sheep jump, counting sheep, counting sheep to try and fall asleep. Right. Yeah. Like that's classic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this game is basically that. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes in the dream, you just die as happened in our game. Yes. I still don't like, there's no Uh, way that that doesn't happen more often than, than you're saying it does. I don't believe I probably just need to get a ton of more reps to know how likely that is. But the deck is like, I don't know, 60 plus cards. And there's, um, I think like 10 per, per nightmare. There's 10 cards that, that mess with the nightmares movement and who it scares. So the odds of pulling off the top of the deck, exactly the right two, because you, you, it's not just one, you have to get scared twice to get killed. So the odds of pulling two in between, like even just one person's turn that to kill everyone else is pretty low. The odds of doing it at the beginning of the game are like, I don't know what the odds are. I don't know what average odds are of like one in 60 or like, I don't know the how to figure out the math of, like, it's got to be on top, and then the next one that could actually do it, which is not every card of, of the 10, has to also be the next one. Like, that odd, those odds are Yeah, it has to be very, minuscule. very, very <laughs> yeah. And it, it, we exactly hit it. Yeah. So, so the first time we played this game, we played this at Rukon. <laughs> so bad. And Mark brings out Sheepy Time and says, this game's amazing. And we it set is. it up, and the first card we draw knocks everybody out. And he's just like, yep. wow, that happens sometimes, but it basically happens never. And we're like, okay, cool. It's pretty rare, yeah. We all have, like, we, you take two hits and then you die, essentially, if I'm understanding that correct. And they have to reset everything. Yeah, and we'll get into the mechanics later. But yeah, yeah basically, like, two cards happened. were drawn back to back. Yeah, they killed us in the first they round. Us, which is unlikely. And we're just like, okay, reset. Everybody yep. died. Uh, so we re- redid the board and whatever. And then the same thing happened again on the next game, where we all got put to sleep, not the first time, but the second time. Yep. And someone got like twelve turns in a row, and, or more. Yeah, yeah, and it was just not a good first experience. Because yeah, no, saying, this is not usually how it goes. I'm like, yeah, huh? This is gonna make for a great story. And it certainly <laughs> is. doesn't know uh sheepy time so there are uh two to four players in this game um but it's better at the larger numbers three is good four is i think the best uh the best number for this game um what you what you are is you're uh counting sheep like we said and you jump the fence and jumping the fence scores your points and you know the idea is that like 
your the more like sheep you count, the closer you are to falling asleep or whatever. So it's it's very tied closely to that idea of counting sheep as they jump over to try and fall asleep, right? Which is why the pun sheepy time is so, so, so juicy. And there's a nightmare that's chasing us uh, collectively as a table, right? Um, so in the game, there's 10 spaces that you can go to and it's a circle. When you go, you start at one and then you, when you get to 10, you're almost done. And then when you jump the fence from 10 to one, you score your points and then you can choose to wake up and stop playing. Basically it's a, it's a push your luck thing, right? Or you can keep trying to go around and around and score more points. It's like a gamble, push your luck style. Um, and, uh, it's a deck of cards. It's card based and we'll get into all the specifics of it later. But, um, the game that we played the decoy is talking about it was three newbies and me and i was teaching and uh the way it works is like you have a score tracker and sort of like an arc nova which our listeners remember eventually those two tracks will meet at some point in the middle and that triggers the end game right so the same sort of idea is true of this game you have a point track that goes up to 40 and you start at zero and then you have a pillow and your pillow starts at 40 and goes down to zero uh, and the end of each round, you score pillow points, which move your pillow from 40 closer to zero, however many points you scored. And then you uh, compare the pillow points that you have before you score to the number of actual round points you scored. And if you've met your pillow, then the game is over right then. And if you haven't, then you keep going and you reset back to zero. And eventually over time, as you can imagine, your pillow, you know, like the pillow points add and add up to each other. So there's so most games, people's pillows are anywhere from at like 19 to like 30 when you start the round, which means you only have to jump the fence like a handful of times to trigger the end game, right? So then it's a matter of how f- much farther past my pillow am I willing to go than the other person. And that's sort of the, the juiciness of the game that Decoy, unfortunately, nor all of our friends uh, never got to see. Um, and what happened uh, is the nightmare when it lands on you it will scare you, bah, right? Because it's also chasing you and it's also moving around the, the circle that is this game board. And if it lands on your space or if you move your sheep onto the space where the nightmare is, you become scared. And then if you're scared, when you land on the nightmare a second time or when the nightmare would scare you again, like he moves onto you, that kills you or wakes you up from the nightmare. Uh, like from the dream, right? And then you don't score any points and you like, you're basically out of the game until the round is over. And sometimes, unluckily, the top card that you draw, because it's a card-based thing, the top card that you draw, that you resolve, if it's a nightmare, you have to resolve it right away. And sometimes the nightmare moves and scares everyone before anyone gets a turn. So that means the rest of the round, everyone only has one more chance to not get killed and not wake up, right? Uh, and like Decoy said, the first two cards we drew off the top were ones that just so happened to scare us twice in a row. So nobody got a turn. So we reset, we did the game mechanics of reset and stuff. Cause as I mentioned, like the round ends and the pillows move and like you add more tiles to make the game easier to move faster around the circle. So it gets like easier to move and you can gamble more the longer the game goes. Right. And, uh, the second round it happened again, except rehab happened to get a turn in between the nightmare. Uh, scaring us so he was able to jump really far away from the nightmare before it killed the other three of us so we all had to stop playing and then he was left being able to play the game single player and try to get to his pillow which was at 37 which i've never seen anyone score that many before and that is the truth and he was like okay well i guess i'll just keep going and we all just had to sit there and watch him play solitaire 
yeah, to try and like, get to his pillow, and he was able to do it because no one else was drawing cards, and the deck is really fat because there's four players, but nobody else was drawing. So the likelihood likelihood of him drawing a nightmare, it's like ten out of the sixty card deck, which those ten cards put into it actually make the deck seventy. So it was like ten cards total you could draw out of seventy. So he was like, oh, I'll just draw until I win, and basically just played, you know, twenty, twenty five, thirty cards in a row nobody else could take a turn and just kept going around and around and around and around and around and got his pillow and won the game and nobody else even got a turn and <laughs> at which point it, we're just like great game man teaching <laughs> us how this wonderful interactive uh, yeah so we didn't really get to actually play the game for real we got this really randomly weird unlikely scenario where one person just so happened to have gotten a turn before everyone else who hadn't yet had to get triggered into the scare where you wake up mechanic. So like sometimes that does happen, right? Like sometimes you're playing the game and everyone's sheep are at different spots on the board. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the wolf moves outside of your turn and lands on your spot and you wake up and you're like, well, shit, like I was trying to keep going. I only had to play one more card to jump the fence, but you know, there's three other players playing. And when you play a card, you have to draw and replenish your hand. And if you draw a nightmare, you have to trigger it and do what it says, like move the nightmare two or one or whatever. So sometimes you just get unlucky and in between your turns, you die and you, then it's not your decision. And that's just a nature of the game, which we'll get to our feelings about that in any way in general in a second. But having it happen to three out of the four players at the exact same card is only really possible if everyone's on the same space, which is not really happening unless it's the early part of the game because people don't tend to bundle up, right? Like they're, they kind of have their own strategy and you play cards that give you different abilities. Like I move seven or I move two or I move five. So all the cards are different. So nobody's really ever on the same square or at the same space, right? So if one person or two people get knocked out, there's still someone else to try and keep scoring not just one person there's always a, it feels like there's always at least two who are pushing the envelope before they choose to stop right it's seldom like a oh i'm the only one left on accident kind of scenario and it happened so early and the deck was so fat that he was just like okay well i'll just break this game and see if i can win and won and it was like 30 minutes <laughs> we're like jesus fucking christ <laughs> so yeah that's uh that should be time folks incredible <laughs> game absolutely wonderful and we played another game after that but we ran out of time. We couldn't finish it. But so I think, Decoy, in, in that game, I did want to ask you, you started to maybe see what was going on because we didn't actually end early, I think. I think. Yes, I, I get I get what's going on with this game, and I understand why you like it so much. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I don't know if I like it just because, like, my first experience was, we'll call it a mulligan. Like, sometimes it was a mulligan. Yeah. yeah, like, you just have to re-roll it. The thing, the, the game just kind of breaks, and sometimes games break, and that's okay. Right. Lots of games break. Lots of games break yeah. often. Um, yep. We'll 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 talk about if we're we're going to be covering Dune soon. Sometimes mm-hmm. Dune just breaks, and yeah, sometimes. it's not great when it does. At least with something like this, the game is over fast. When Dune breaks, you got to sit around for another hour and a half, even though you've kind of known that one person is in a huge lead, and you can't do a whole lot to stop it. And we can and talk that's... about that later. Yeah, so, yeah, but that's yep. yeah. Like at least with this one, we could just re-roll it. Like this is not like a heavy-duty hardcore game. This is uh, this is a palate cleanser, except it's a little bit heavier than I would think of what a palate cleanser is. It's in this in-between space, I think, for me. Yeah, yeah. I was I was curious. I actually wanted to kind of ask you, and that maybe this is a great time to do it. So, 
the genre of this game, like, I don't know exactly, like, it's not a Euro, right? And it's not like a war game. It's not really a strategy game, although there is a very unique strategy structure that I really like that we'll cover here in a second. Mechanically wise, it's really satisfying. So I'd like the style of, and it's not a party game, right? And it's not, it's a palate cleanser, but like oftentimes, like for example, on the show so far, we've covered Ink and Gold, right? Which is a classic quote unquote palate cleanser. Um, and we're going to cover very soon Red Dragon Inn, which I think is another example of a, a palate cleanser, right? It's like a game that's maybe narrative uh, more than not, but like light. And um, it's like, you know, the, the thematically sort of relevant to uh, like a heavy board game experience, right? Like in Ink and Gold, for example, you could have just gotten off of a long game of Root. Maybe you played four and a half hours and you're like, you know what? I want to like just hunt for gems like Indiana Jones and like see if I can not dive to the snakes. Like it has a sort of similar adventure-y kind of feel like the thematic stuff of the heavier games might, right? And then um, Red Dragon Inn, same thing, except we haven't covered that one yet, right? Obviously, but, you know, similar thing, right? Like you're in a bar and you want everybody to get as drunk as they can. Uh, and it's like a classic tavern, like, hey, I was just doing the RPG and now I'm in the tavern drinking with all the buddies that I just tried to kill for five hours. Like it, those, those seem thematically adjacent, I guess is what I'm saying. And this one, I think it is of a similar genre, but the, the theme is not thematically adjacent, I feel like, to anything I've ever seen before. So I'm also, so I'm like I don't know what this is then you know like I'm I, I struggle to find a like a category to put it in. I think we talked about this earlier. You mentioned this earlier. This is a push your luck game. This is a yes. PvP push your luck game. That's what mm -hmm. I would call this. Like a gamble. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a kind of a gambly kind of a push your luck game. Sort of like in gold, but like, yeah, Wonderland's War has that push your luck bag development style thing too, right? Like yes, yes, yeah. or I guess or quacks the, or you know yes, and those games have those elements, but this game is. That this is the primary, this is the primary thing in this game. So there is strategy, but the most, the thing you do the most of, and where the decisions come from is when to keep going and when to stop. And that's yeah. I think based on, based on playing this game, one and a quarter times, or <laughs> however long that we'll was. We'll say we'll say a half total the, between the two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, technically I played the game and I lost. I just didn't get a turn. Which, which is, is amazing that you can play a game and lose really and not get a turn. Like that's fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm sure some people who play Dune say the same thing. Like it's turn one, I haven't had a turn yet, and I already lost. Sometimes yeah, based on how the the card draw not, goes, and yeah, yeah, not really, really, but like on on rare occasion that can happen in Dune, and that feels bad. Yeah, I think this there's enough RNG better. though to where you yeah. can kind of get away from it. Maybe yeah, we'll we'll get into that because I think there is some. Well, you yeah. can pull yourself back better. This one, you literally are removed from the game until the next round. So, like, you have no chance of coming back. Yeah. And yeah. if things go really bad, it's it's this game does not take that long. Like, what is the what is your typical play time in this game? Yeah, so the box says 30 to 45 minutes, but I honestly don't know that I've ever finished a game that quick. Uh, two players, you could finish that quick, that, for sure. Um, but four, I think, probably takes closer to, like, 75, maybe 80 minutes, which is, I mean... If, if you're teaching, maybe an extra 10, because I, I think I taught you guys in like 10 or 15, and then you can kind of teach as you play, because it's pretty simple. Um, so yeah, I'd say maybe 90 minutes is the top end of that with a four-player game. Yeah. So it's pretty that's palatable. Also, like, yeah, that's also another thing. Like, I looked at this game, and I expected it to be, it to be over in 15 minutes without knowing anything about it. Oh, yeah. And no, no, no. You're like, then we sat down, it's like, this is going to be an hour and a half. Yeah, so our a, game, that, that first one was actually like, was actually 15 minutes. Yeah, that, that one actually didn't take very long at all. And that's maybe not the not the typical uh, typical game. But I promise it's not that that is 
that that is like the biggest interesting point of this game. It looks when you just look at the box and you look at the box art and you look at the components, it looks like a a small child game. Like it yes. looks like you pull this out and you play this with your kids. Yep. And or small children that you might have around your family, whoever. And this is not that. There's lots of stuff going on here. Like there's lots of text that that I was reading. I'm like, wait, this is way, way, way more complicated than I thought it was. And when you're doing the rules explanation, there always comes a time. And I did this last night when he was teaching with nucleum. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm like, okay, if the teach stops like right around a certain time. I feel like I will be good. And Todd just kept going. Todd's teach yeah. was twice as long as I feel comfortable with. And I'm like, that game's oh, not for me. Oh, this is too heavy then. Yeah, because the if, teach is if, taking a long time. If your teach takes an hour, that game's too complicated. His teach took an hour. Same with this game. I expected you to stop talking at some point. And whatever that point was, it went double. So how long oh, interesting. did you spend explaining this game? I'd say maybe like 20 minutes, probably, once yeah, we actually started and sat down. Yeah, I was expecting like 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It looks, like, it looks like, like it would be an easy 10-minute teach, yep. But it's not. It's really, really not. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of little things, a lot of... What is the word for little things? Um, like nuances? Yes, nuances. Thank you. There are yeah, a lot of yeah. nuances in this game that you have to understand to be able to do well that I did not get because my brain turned off at about minute 13, minute 12, and you went yeah. another eight minutes. And like once <laughs> yeah. we played through the first, the first game, I was just like, oh, now I get it. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it, it's a quick, it's a, it's quick on the back end. On the front end, it's like a little bit longer than it looks. Yeah, that's, it's like deceptive in that way. And I think that's maybe part of what makes it so appealing or could be potentially so appealing, I think, is that you can have a game that on the surface, just like Ford, I think Ford shares this, on the surface, yes. it looks very friendly and it looks very light and it looks very chill and very relaxed and very approachable. And then once you actually play it, you're like, oh, wow, this actually has more meat on the bones than it looked like if I just looked at the box. And then you play it and you're like, oh, there is actually some meat on this, like to the point where I kind of want to play it. Like it's because I, I feel like there's three different sort of like paths maybe you could take in this way, right? Like you could look at a box like Scythe and be like, oh, that's fucking huge, and it looks complicated, and the art is very intense and dramatic. I know what that's going to be when you go into it, and it delivers. It is it is all those things, right? Or you have a game like, um, I don't know, uh, Shoots and Ladders, maybe, or something of that of that, uh, uh, yes, it's flavor, bright and, right? Bright and colorful and happy. Bright, colorful, happy, like, yeah. The, page, the, the rule book is like half a page. Half a, it's like an insert card. Yes, it's a <laughs> right? card, and then you yeah. have a little... little it's six six sentences. That's the rules, and yep. like, oh, that's easy. That's easy. It's yeah, and it takes you five seconds to play, and you're like, and it it's a, and it lasts about that long too in your like mind, right? You're like, okay, that was cool, but like, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of depth to like sort of itch the hunger that you might want in a game to come back to it, right? And then there's this massive just chasm of in between space, and that covers like pretty much every game. I feel like in a lot of ways, right? Because it's yeah, like, okay, well, on the surface, it's the theme looks easy, but it's actually complicated. Or the, it looks really complicated, but it's actually super easy. And, like, it's different for different people. And the weight is different. And there's, like, more complexity. And the teach takes a long time, but it's actually easy once you do it. There's just a lot of moving parts, but the moving parts are all simple. There's all these sort of, like, other. <laughs> and I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not sure exactly where on the needle this other is, Yeah, I guess. if you're talking about, like, 
axes, like, this looks friendly like Candyland, but this plays more complicated like Fort. Fort's a good parallel. Yeah, it's I'm a great parallel. It's the yeah. one that I, I thought, because they, they have the same things going on. The artwork looks friendly. It, the theming seems simple. You're, you're a county sheep in this game, and in Fort, you're playing with kids and building a treehouse. Yep, and then you actually approachable. play the game, and it's like there's a lot more stuff going on here. There's cards you got to put down. You have to there's there's rules overhead. You have to yep. it really really helps to play with someone who's played before. Yep. So you're not struggling through the rules because they are actually that difficult. Yeah, and, it's a proper rule book, right? Like it's not a root law yeah, rule book, mm-hmm. but it's got like it, it's got like 14 pages in the rule book, right? Like it's you know. Yeah. yeah speaking of root rule books, um, <laughs> were you one of the people who went and got the rule book signed? Yes, I got it signed by as many people as I could. You guys and also Cole and Josh and um, the the Woodland War Machine folks, all three of them. Yeah, that's that was such a good idea. Yeah, um, it was easy to pack. Many, yeah, yeah, I love how many people came up with the same idea independently. I know, right? So I don't that know was, if you talked cool. to other people, but I know I know Jason was going to do that at the very beginning. You came up with that and brought your rule book. Yep. And I know someone who isn't part of our group did the same thing. Did the same thing. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty sweet. Yeah. It's a, it's a neat little, like, it's like, I mean, you know, oftentimes when you know the rules, you just pull it out every once in a while, you know, like, but you don't really, like, it's a, it's a lovely little thing that no one ever throws away, but you don't really ever need once you know how to play the game. So I was like, man, this, this, like, there's gotta be something to do with this law of root or any rule book, I think, right? Like once you know the game well enough, you either keep the rule book for, some reason like you just want to save everything or you keep it like thinking i might give this away and they might want to read the rules or whatever right and i was like oh dude like having it signed like now it's because like getting a shirt signed eh, it's gonna wash off and i can't fly anything else that's that big right so it's like i gotta find some sort of medium where, like where it's meaningful but like you know not just gonna wash off off my back or whatever yeah it was a good i'm glad i took it it was really fun um so mechanically in this game i have a question for you so one thing uh, in this game that's pretty um, pretty important to kind of internalize. Actually, there's a couple things, right? So I'm gonna do the, I'll do the first one. Um, so there are these tiles uh, that exist um, on the outside of the circle. And at the start of the game, there's only two, and they're placed randomly. One is placed on the five space. One's placed on the ten space. And there's again ten spaces you can go and like land around the circle, and you start at one. And the tiles are just power-ups that uh, you can access and use if you land, um, excuse me, if you land on that space. So the tile that's, that's sitting at five, and just as a, by the way, the way that the tiles fit into the edge of the map is the most satisfying thing ever. When all 10 are around the circle and it, it goes from a cloudy, sharp, jagged edge board to a to nice a solid yeah. circle, Oh, it's so satisfying. We'll set them all out here so you can see it. Um, so at the start of the game, eight of the 10 spaces have no power up. So you draw, you play a card, you land on seven, let's say, and that's it. You just end your turn. But over the course of the game, the longer the game goes, the more rounds that happen, the more tiles are added to the outside of the board, which means that almost every single space and eventually every single space has a, a power up associated with it. And once you fill up all 10, that's it. You don't get to place any more of that game. And I think there's 30 uh, total, which means that, you know, there's a lot of variability on which ones you might pull on any given game, right? And depending on the way that the map is built by the players, it very much changes the nature of the strategy of the, the game that round and the future rounds. So like you could try and see the way that someone placed a tile and uses it and try and use it also. 
or you could be like, I see what you're doing. And this one over here is the one that you need to make sure goes like two away from it. So I'm going to place it somewhere else so that you don't get to do that combo because I know the game well, and now there's some strategy built in. And when I mentioned before, there's some depth to it that kind of doesn't meet the eye at first. A lot of it comes from what I'm describing. So each player gets to choose at the end of the round, you either place a tile uh, anywhere that doesn't have one already, or you can place uh, some like action cubes basically onto the tiles, which is how you use those, uh, those power-ups, right? So the strategy of the game is sort of uh, multifaceted in this way, right? Like, you're, yes, you're trying to just jump the fence and just run around in a circle as many times as you can and score as many points as you can. Of course you are. But there's a significant amount of push and pull between the players in trying to either force them to run into the nightmare and die or to try and manipulate the way that you move so that you can do some pretty cool things. Like you can jump ahead five spaces, which gets you over the fence, which scores you points. And then when you land on that tile, you get to use that power, which allows you to jump to the next person ahead of you, which they're on 10. Then you get to go seven or eight more spaces around. Like you can really like make a chain of combos actions you can take just by playing one of your action cards. So like, and it's like, as decoy just mentioned, all of that is built into this lovely, cute little game where you're just trying to count cheap and score points on dreaming. Like, it looks very childish, and when you sit down and play, you're like, "Oh, there's actually some shit here that I could ch I could chew on for a minute," and that is so nice. Like, it's so satisfying for a game to be able to do both of those things and do it well. And this one does do that pretty well. It's a shame we didn't get to do it together because it's yeah. it changes how you feel about it when you get to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that there's actually a TTS mod. And we can do we it. Can actually, yep. We actually play it. So the, yep. the plan for, for everyone listening was we were going to play this at at RuCon. We met each other for the first time, yep. and we ended up doing that. But the, but the we had the kind of a bust, and <laughs> we, we had the fucked up really, game. <laughs> yeah, like we, we we got the Mulligan game, and we ran yep. out of time. Like yep, there there was so much jam packed into that weekend that we didn't have enough time to pull this out again, which like, is kind of we crazy. Dead tired or participating in the tournament still even though we all thought we would bust out like most of the people from our group actually made the semifinals yep like there were eight of us or something like that and three of us are, were in the final game which is yeah and three crazy. of us are in the finals including including squid and that was uh yep. that was, uh, this was just more game time and then we had to go eat food like yep. i <laughs> i planned lots of things and i was like i forgot to plan for meals so that, that was just like another 10 hours during during that weekend that i couldn't do anything except eat Yep. Slightly awkward. Yeah. That that <laughs> was yeah. So I would have loved to have played this more and actually gotten a few good games in. We just ran out of time. But yeah, so that strategy component is sort of a big uh a big boon for it, isn't that it um it's simple, yet there's like strategic depth to it with how you place your little action cubes, which are called Z's, which are super cute. Um, and you can, if you place it on a tile, then when you land there in the future, you can spend that Z off of that tile to do that action. It's very simple. Um, and then the actual turn structure uh, is this deck of cards. And it's like an action deck of cards. And there's tons of games that have this idea, right? So you have two cards in hand. They have different things on them. Like it'll say, move two spaces. So you move two, and then, you know, wherever you are, you just move forward two spaces. Or it'll say like, you know, catch one Z which just means place one of your 10 uh, supply Z tokens, so like little action cubes onto any tile that you want for a future use potentially, right? And then, or I might say like score two points, like two of the points that you're trying to get to reach your, your pillow, remember to trigger the end of the game. 
Um, and once you've played one card, then you just draw from the fat stack, the fat deck, another card. Uh, and that's it. Then you're done. You pass to the next player. Everybody always has two cards in hand as long as they're actively in the round. The problem is in the action in the deck, there are 10 cards that move the scary monster towards like around towards uh, the fence. And once the monster crosses the fence, the round immediately ends. And there's always enough movement built into the, the like monster part of the deck to have the monster jump across the fence if all of them are drawn. Right. Um, so if you draw one of those, uh oh, now you have to just do what it says. Usually it just says move the nightmare like one or two or something like that. And if he happens to hit anyone on his way to that on that movement, they, he scares that that person, that sheep that's sitting there. And if he doesn't hit anybody, then it doesn't matter. And you just keep going and keep going and keep going until you get become chicken and stop the round and end with whatever point total you have for that round, right? Then at the end of the, when everyone stopped and chickened out, then you reset the points back to zero, move the pillows, and then you start a new round with new action tiles built onto the map. And then the same thing goes again until everyone chickens out and then you do it again. You shuffle the deck back, make a full deck again, add more action tiles onto the board. So after like three or four rounds, usually the, the map is full and everyone has access to tons of actions and abilities uh, and they can manipulate how they move a lot faster. And there's some actions that are like move other sheep and you can move and you can like strategize and find a way to kill your opponent so that you are the only one left like rehab in that game where he scored 40 points. So yeah. there's really a good like system kind of, it's simple enough to explain 20 minute teach still, right? But built into it is a lot of variety and player agency and stuff, unless you get the unlucky, well, we drew the only two action, the only two nightmare cards of the 10 that exist that could have killed us before we took a turn. Shit, right? Like, unless you do yeah. that, there's a lot of agency in this game. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Dico, I have a question for you. How do you feel about player elimination as a mechanic? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's such a loaded question. <laughs> um... Because this game has player yes, elimination in the elimination. In potentially harshest way. That's why that game we had went bunk so hard. There, there's no, there's no way to just say yes or no. It totally depends on the game, and it can feel bad. So as a rule, I guess if I had to pick one way or another, I don't like player elimination. Yeah, I don't either. But if it thematically makes sense. And it doesn't happen all that often. I'm okay with it. So okay. something like something like this, it thematically makes sense. The monster chased you down and woke you up out of the dream. Right. And that's that's kind of cool. That's thematic. That that is what happens when, when mm. the monster catches you. And mm -hmm. that's the thing that can happen in the game. Same with Nemesis. Like sometimes people die and people just die early. Right. Sci-fi horror, and that's just the way it goes. Most of the time, it doesn't. Most of the time, one person dies. And then it's like a cascading bad effects, and then everyone dies. And yeah, like really pretty usually, quick. Yeah. Usually not like someone sitting around for an hour and a half. Unless you're JC and you get on the escape pod and leave immediately, which is done <laughs> about three or four times. Often enough that we have named that move JC. Don't yeah, pull JC. Don't, don't get really on the escape funny. pod. Just don't leave. just leave right away. Yeah. Yeah. He's done that often enough that that is now his move. Anytime we funny. see airlock control. Anyways, so yeah. in those in those two specific situations, I'm okay with that because it works in the context of the game. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of other player elimination. What what 
what comes to mind when you think player elimination? Is there any bad player elimination experiences? Yeah, I dislike. I dislike at least of we of what we've covered. Risk and monopolies player elimination. Um, risks because like say there's four players or three players even. Um, you're the point is to eliminate someone and then they no longer get to play until the other two find a way to eliminate one of them or the other. And then the winner wins because they didn't get eliminated. And then Monopoly, it's like the same thing, except it's economic bankruptcy instead of murdering your troops on the battlefield. And those have like a, it's like, it's like player elimination, the game almost like the mechanic, the biggest mechanic of the game and the way that you win is eliminate other players around the table. Um, as opposed to, you know, a more nuanced objective, which is score 40 points. And if you get eliminated, you don't get to score anymore. So it's like you're incentivized, like for this game, Sheepy Time, right? So you're incentivized to try and eliminate your opponents, maybe because they can't score. But that's not how you win. That's just one strategy that you could try to implement that would help you win. Um, and that's what I like. So I dislike uh, player elimination because then people stop playing and then the game breaks down. So I typically lean towards games where people aren't eliminated so that it always feels like everyone's participating in the experience a little bit as opposed to being like, oh, well, I got eliminated and I'm sitting here and now I don't like this and this is why I hate games, which I'm always afraid people are going to just trigger that, right? Um, so uh, this yeah. game, when this game had that, I was like, this is the worst possible scenario because these guys are all new, right? But Yeah, and then we're just going to be like, this is a dumb game. Like, we all just got knocked down. See what I mean? For 10 minutes. Yeah, so we'll just do something else and never play this again. I was like, oh, fuck, that's such a bad... <laughs> Yeah, um, but it doesn't hilarious. have it doesn't have it built in in a way that I dislike. But I but like when I remember when it happened, I was like, oh man, player elimination. Like I meant, like I said it out loud because I that is the one gripe I have with this game is that like you could like last time Jessica and I played, my wife, we, she um, we I played with my parents after like dinner one night, uh, and my dad and I were close to winning, and we were fighting. We were basically in the lead and trying to like push the envelope to try and score more points than the other before the nightmare like jumped over us. And in that game, the first, all, all three of the first three rounds, I think she got eliminated first and before she had an opportunity to feel like she was close to even making the decision. I want to bail and see if my points are going to be enough to get me a good score this round. Like she never even got that decision. It, the nightmare just got her like the first three yeah. rounds and she scored the minimum amount of pillow points and was just sort of not playing, it felt like. She was like, man, like I just didn't feel like I even got to play this game. And that does suck. I dislike it when player elimination as a mechanic is built into a game, and then it just so happens that it feels like what she felt. And that is a bummer. I, so like that, that's why I wanted to ask you, because like, you know, it's in Betrayal. It's in, like we just talked about, it's in Risk, which we've covered. It's in Monopoly, which we've covered. It's like a, it's like a pretty classic, yeah, I feel like, trope of a, of a thing. It happens, yeah. If you can, you can go all the. If you want, to, depending on how you want to define player elimination, if we're looking at our list from last season, and this season, Red Dragon in. That's the whole point of the game is to eliminate all. Eliminate your. Opponents. your <laughs> yep. Um, sneak preview. We also will be talking about Mahjong. Oh and yeah. Mahjong has kind of a funny player elimination thing that can happen. Oh yeah. It's like self done. Like you can paint yourself into an unwinnable situation, paint yourself into a corner in that game. Oh yeah, yeah. And if, if you mess up, and you mess up real bad, you can get stuck in an unwinnable spot, and all you do is just draw and discard for the rest of the round. Woof. <laughs> and you can't win. But yeah. that's like self-inflicted, and I've done this. Even even really good players will do this sometimes, where you just make a mistake, and you're yeah, like, oh screwed. fuck, <laughs> and you just gotta like draw and discard for another ten minutes. 
and that's kind of it. But it's it's so it's built into the game, but it's you have the agency to avoid it as long as you don't make a mistake. So that that is in there for that game. That's helpful at least. I, yeah. I, I suspect I don't think Dead of Winter has um, player elimination. I'm not in the sure. same way that Nemesis does. That. Yeah, we can yeah check. because you control groups of characters, so everyone starts ah, out so one there one dies. Yeah, and you get more. And over the course of the game, your characters will die or they'll get in trouble or whatever. Right. I, I'm not off the top of my head, and we're going to have to double check this because we've only played this a few times. I think I think when you lose all your characters, you just get another one. I have to double check. Sorry, yeah. all the people who that's, that's remain okay. dead of winter and yeah, I, yeah. I don't know the answer. But yeah, like the characters you start with can absolutely die and you get more characters. Yeah, in so it's like you're eliminating the characters, not the player who's yeah, playing the game. Right. But you might also eliminate the player too. I don't think so, but that might might be the case. Regardless, so it's, it's you, close. You don't, yeah. Yeah, you don't get too attached to the characters. It's sort of like betrayal. Like, don't get too attached to the characters that are right in front of you. It's like you're watching a movie. Yeah, yeah, because like, there's a pretty the good characters. chance they're going to die. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then you switch out <laughs> and you, the, ca- the camera moves to somebody else. It's kind of that kind of deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's like a pretty, I guess, as game mechanics go, my favorite games, uh, like if a player is eliminated, quote unquote, they still have turns to take and they can still do something. And like, so we just had RootCon and we just played a bunch of Root, right? So I always like to think about that in this context too, because oftentimes you'll have people say like, well, my game's over. I have no chance of winning, so therefore, what do I do? I could just do nothing because I'm eliminated. But the fact that I no longer have an opportunity to win doesn't mean that I still can't impact the game, yeah. which I like. And I like that because I, it like you're building this time and this sort of narrative, like we talked about earlier, with these people that you're playing this game with. And that's the beauty of the Magic Circle, and that's the beauty of this whole hobby and this experience, right? And when you cut a player out of a game in a group game not like a one-on-one this is chess this is go and like it's like 1v1 strategy kill your opponent and when they're dead you win like that's different right but when it's like a multiplayer game even if it's a two-player game but like it goes up to multiplayers like dominion's two-player but also you're not eliminating somebody right like so it's a little different still the object isn't kill them um when the game is like hey like this player at the table with you guys they just are done now and y'all keep playing and they just have to, you know, like they don't get to do anything else. They're just done. They're out. They have to sit there. Like that just, uh, like, that feels bad. That feels bad. That feels really, that feels bad. There's some games where like the narrative, it's so narrative driven that it's like, Hey, I died. And like, that was crazy. And that was super fun. I want to see if you guys die or not. Like nemesis always strikes me like that. Like if I die in nemesis, I had a good time along the way. And the narrative structure is built in that game such that even if you fail, and even if it's something crazy happens, it's still really fun to be a part of that circle and sort of like let the story unfold still. Yeah. But because like the, the ramifications that, of you dying still affect the board state and everybody scrambles. Once the first person dies, everyone scrambles. And starts to scramble. Change, and yeah. the game usually ends really fast after that, after the first person dies. Sometimes it doesn't, but usually it does. So it's yeah. not like you're stuck there for a long time. It can't happen, but 
just like just like Shivi time, you, you can just get knocked out in the first first two rounds. And yeah, like if you're fourth, then you could just get totally harder. fucked, which which sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And she and she expressed that. So yeah, yeah I just I played Nemesis I games to... where I've died in the first three rounds and I oh had to sit God. around running the game for another eight or nine rounds. And that's Dude. Feel great. But I'm I'm still there for it. Like that was funny. And yeah, the narrative is still solid enough, I think, to where it's yeah. not it doesn't feel as bad, maybe is a good way to put it. Yeah, it, it just, it, especially with our group, and I know we're not talking about other games, we'll talk about Nemesis soon. Mm-hmm. Um, with our group, it all just builds into the lore it all of, of our gaming group. So just like JC is a guy who takes escape pods, um, I don't know what I'm known for. I'm probably known for something. And we have people who never take kill objectives, and we have people who always oh, take right. kill objectives. Yeah, yeah, just like their average. And yeah, yeah so we've... We, Every game, even if you die early, it builds a little bit of uh, your player lore, like what your what your yeah. player does <laughs> or is more likely to do. So even yeah. if you die, like the the time I'm thinking of specifically, I died three rounds into the game, and then we played again the next night or a week later, and I did the exact same thing I did the first game where I died, and oh my I died God. again the exact same way. <laughs> Like we got the, almost the exact same room tiles, and I got almost the exact same situation. Yeah. And we decided as a table to not do what I did because that's a really bad idea. Now, yep. whenever anybody tries to do the thing that I did, I say no. I died. I did this exact same thing like three and times, I died. and I died yep. twice of them, and I was severely <laughs> injured the third time. That's a really bad idea. Yeah, and that's not plan's not going to work out, bro. Yeah, do yeah. something else. <laughs> is there something? I don't know if this game is like deep, deep enough. Is there something in Sheepy Time where you're just like, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Yes, there is actually. Um, so in this game, you have two options on the cards. You can either do one or the other typically. So it'll say something like move three spaces or score two points. So then you can be like, okay, I'll do one of those two. And sometimes it says and, right? It'll be like move move two spaces and place two Zs, which is like the best card. Um, so you can choose, right? Like if the nightmare is right next to you, if you're on space two and the nightmare is on space one and you're playing the wolf, there's a pretty good chance that they're like, like it may be not a pretty good chance, but if the wolf moves, you'll get scared in, in between your turns. And if there's three other players drawing cards, then there's three opportunities for you to get killed or to get scared, right? As opposed to, you know, uh, if the wolf is, like if you're on number nine and the wolf is on number two, okay, well, the wolf has to move seven spaces in order to get you. That means that literally every single player has to draw like one or two nightmares in between your turns in order for you to get eaten or get scared. And that's super unlikely, right? Because there's only 10 of them total. And there's a, you know, in a four player game, it's a 60 card deck. So like, that's not really going to happen. So you're safe. So oftentimes what I'll say is if you eliminate the ore out of a card, then you have to do the thing that you can do, right? So for example, there's 10 Zs. So if you place out all your Zs and you have two cards in your hand and they both say, or catch one Z, all you can do now is move and there's some duplicate cards. So you could get a, a card that says move two, and you could have the same card in hand and no Z's, which means you have to move forward two on your turn, which could move you into the nightmare, which could kill you. So there's like, it's like, Hey, you always will kind of want to have some Z's in reserve. Cause you might draw a hand where you can't play anything else except a Z or you'll die until the nightmare moves again, based on where you're located or based on the way the map was built. Like, Hey, you know, on step seven, uh, everyone like a player can move everyone around the circle one space clockwise, which means you were on space two and you were about to do a cool combo, 
But now you're on space three and the nightmare is two ahead of you. And now neither of your cards will work because you'll die if you play either one and move. So now you have to do the Z movement, like the Z action instead, right? You have to take the other action. And if you're out of Zs, well, they just killed you. And now you're screwed, right? So having that contingency uh, of a couple extra Zs in reserve is is one of those for sure. Because I've had that happen to me many games and I've learned since, oh, I have like nine Zs out. Yeah, okay, I'm not playing anymore until I use some more up. Because, <laughs> you know, you will get you could orchestrate a situation to where you have no choice but to just run into the nightmare and wake up like a fool, right? <laughs> All right, so that's that's my plan now. I'm going to do the do that. What you just said and see. <laughs> spend if, them all. Yeah, I'm going to spend everything and I'm going to get eliminated. And that'll be my lore for my, my personal lore for this game. I spend, yeah, I yeah. spend too many of my Z's all the time. And that's a bad thing to do that. And you never have anything. So you always have yes. to move and then you just hope you draw into it well. Yeah, that's yeah. the dangerous my, game, my friend. <laughs> it's my goal in this game now to place all my Z's and be forced to move into the nightmare. Like, I draw yeah, yeah. two, move sevens, and that's the only place I can go, and that's where the Nightmare is. Yep, I'm it'll happen It'll it'll happen like without you having to try that hard. Like, it's it's a pretty common, like, if, especially in a four-player game, when there's the tiles come out a lot faster. And that's one thing I should share, right? So, um, at the end of the round, you see if anybody's won the game. If not, you, move, you score the pillow points based on who got first for that round. You reset your point tracker back to zero. The pillow stays still. You put your... Uh, your sheep back to level one, you put the nightmare back onto the center square, which is where it starts. And then each player in clockwise turn order gets to either place a fresh tile onto the map or place two Z's from their supply onto already existing tiles to help their strategy, whatever that is. And if there's four players, that means that in between rounds, there will be four tiles put out more than likely because that's always best early is to put more tiles out to make the spaces better. So, and it start the game starts with two on it out of 10. So, after the end of the first round, there's six tiles filled up. And then at the end of the second round, the entire board is full. Typically is how it goes. So, you know, in a four-player game, it's very easy to just spend all your Zs really quick because there's so many tiles you want to use and try. And there's no Zs out because, you know, they all got put out so fast. In a two-player game, each player puts out just two. It goes from two to four to six to eight to ten. Usually the game will be over before all the tiles are put out in that case. So it's less likely to... Uh, to happen right so that's uh, the game designers built in a very like good sort of balance i think between the player counts in that way because the deck is a bit smaller depending on the player count uh the, the the speed with which the board explodes out and becomes wide open is slower but there's few number of players so it's like a little bit more uh like strategic and slow and like crunchy in a smaller number and it's a little bit more wild and gambly in a bigger at a bigger number which is why i think four is like the perfect number because if one person gets eliminated it's not now just a 1v1 or like if you and i are playing a two-player if one of us gets knocked out accidentally then the other person can now play solitaire and not have to worry about anybody else at the table which you know like we already saw and heard from our story and at rukon uh you know that feels bad potentially depending on how it happens <laughs> yeah so. Or maybe it's just really funny. Like, it just becomes a really funny story. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's going to stick in my head now as like you know because I have a feeling and like hopefully you can help convince. Uh, I think it was uh, rehab and uh, I think it was rehab and V. So hopefully you can convince them like, hey, like I have played Cheapy Time again and Squid wasn't lying. It isn't that crazy. That doesn't happen that much because I know that y'all you probably still don't even believe me, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I I believe like I I'll I'll 
you've played this game a lot. If that's just like a really, really rare thing, I believe it is really, really yeah. rare. Yeah, and, and Jessica was luckily there too, that. right? And she was like, yeah, 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 yeah that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, hey, a uh, question for you. Um, before we get into the, the weight here and talk about the sort of like strategy like of it compared to the other games that are list here, um, do you think... Uh, that this game's like gambling because you're you uh, have gone on the show mentioning poker before so i wanted yeah. to ask you the like sort of gamble the games that incorporate gambling um that aren't straight up just gambling like poker and like actually putting money and wagering right the games that sort of have this push your luck gamble mechanic that we've covered or maybe that just you've played because now we've covered a couple i want to say um this one has it for sure and it's kind of the only sort of it's like the base mechanic of the game Wonderland's War uh, has it for sure. Yeah. Um, Ink and Gold has it for sure. It's kind of just like this. It's like built into the like the mechanic of the game. Um, and then am I, forget, am I forgetting one that has it? Let me look back. Uh, that we've talked about so far. Yeah, that we've talked about. Um... That might be it actually in terms of like just pure like gamble style. So this is our third one potentially. I think. Uh, no, yeah, that's. I mean, maybe Plunk, I guess, but not really. Um. So, like, I guess I have two questions, I think. The first one maybe is, um, as a person who's gambled professionally in the past and as a person who's played poker and you're really good, right? Like, does this game maybe, or of the three games that we've covered that incorporate it, which one do you think kind of does it in a way that maybe feels truest to, like, what gambling feels like? Or maybe to put it a different way, like which game incorporates the sensation of pushing your luck and taking a risk and having the reward that isn't the like euphoria of like having actual cash on the line, the best, maybe how does this one do it? Although you haven't played it that much, obviously. So if you could, maybe you could be like, Oh, Wonderland's war, this one and um, ink and gold and sort of like, cause I was, I was curious, like, cause this is a mechanic I've seen more and more and more games I've played like, Oh, this has a little gamble element. And people always say, Oh, it has gambling. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's not poker, though. Like, it's not gambling, gambling. So I'm like, I want to kind of, like, nail down what exactly this feeling is. Okay, so so the, of the three we've talked about, take a look at the list, and those were pretty much it. You can, you can find, like, little things in gambling in a lot of the other games we've talked about. There's like, some, yeah. Yeah, like, we haven't talked about Tokaido yet, but you can absolutely gamble in Tokaido a little bit, like, based on choosing where you go and hoping to get something. That's a little... Yeah, bit. that's a decent gamble, yeah. Yeah. Or, like, hoping nobody steals a certain best, not a best friend, but a certain friend who's in your yard and fort. That's a little bit of gambling. Choosing, choosing someone, hoping that they will get back into your deck and they won't get stolen. That's a little gambling. But you're right. right. By and large, those are the three games. Ink and Gold, there's this, Sheepy Time, and Wonderland's War. Yeah. So the way I think about gambling in games has a lot to do with payoff. So not okay. exactly what the mechanics that you're you're doing are, but what you stand to gain when you're gambling. So what okay. game has the biggest payoff? Because that's going to be the one that feels the most like gambling. So that's if, that is, if, if that is the thing you're basing this on, then the answer to that question is definitely Wonderland's War. Gambling okay. and swinging the game... That happens the most in that game. Uh, the game can come down to you deciding to go for it on this battle in round two. And right. if you get that, 
you get your castle and it allows you to do another thing. If you bust, you're screwed because you can't get your quest. Like, <laughs> yeah, and you and can't forge and little, you can't, yeah. Yeah, and, and do all the things. So that has, I think, that has that game has the biggest amount of swinginess, whether you're successful or you're not successful. Okay. For something like Ink and Gold, the stakes really aren't that high. So if you lose and you die, you still got next round, probably. Like you, unless you it's round five, until, right? Yeah. Yeah, unless it's, unless it's the last one. But if it's round two or round three, and you try to push it a little bit and it doesn't work out, you still have round four and round five, and it can be okay. Even if you're on round four right. and you don't make it, it's not the end of the game yet. Right, you, you, still, got, lose, you still got a chance. Like, yeah, I feel like you can lose pretty early on Wonderland's War. I feel like I have lost Wonderland's War on the first round because I I gambled and lost on two battles. And you and you bust and like you busted huge busted. at the wrong time then, on like yeah. multiple things. Yeah. Yeah, and I just never recovered from it, and I had to yep. stick around. And other people got the big payoff, and yeah. Yeah. It so so how bad it feels to lose and how good it feels to win. That is like the essence of gambling in whatever context that you want to put it in. Okay. There's, gambling in a big game is always going to hit harder for me. Right. Because it's more of a time commitment. So ink and gold, really short. Yep. Sheepy time, like medium. A little bit longer, but still pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wonderland's War pretty long. <laughs> Wonderland's War is pretty long. So right. gambling in that, in that game, in the long game, feels more gambling to me for that reason. And, okay. The stakes are higher because the game is longer and it has a bigger impact on the game state. Interesting. That's, that's, ha- yeah, having, that sounds right. Yeah, having not played all three of these games enough probably to make a definitive statement on that. Like I played, I played, um, I played Wonderland's War quite a bit, but not anywhere near like pro level. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And we play Ink and Gold, and, you know, you, you kind of get it, but I can't really speak to how it feels too much because I haven't played enough times. And then Sheepy Time, I really haven't played enough to really know. And I can say, I can, I can corroborate that from my experience with Sheepy Time, which I've played a ton, right? It does have, like, a similar thing, I think, to Ink and Gold, like you said, where, you know, it's round one. Okay, well, not, not all the tiles aren't even out yet. So if I, I can gamble a little bit more, and then if I don't get the payoff, I'll take the least amount of pillow points this round. Someone else will, you know, someone else will get the big, the big payout this time, but they're not going to end the game next round because we're still all pretty far back because it's still only round one. I'll probably have round two, so I could take a bigger risk earlier because the reward might be big, and if I fuck it up, that's all right because I'll have time to recover. And it feels like you will typically on an average game of of uh, Sheepy Time. Round two, same thing, except um, it's a little bit more higher stakes, I think. The payoff's a little bit bigger because there's more action tiles out now. So somebody could orchestrate a combo if they have enough time to where they could maybe sneak a win because there's now six action tiles out that you could uh, manipulate as opposed to only two. So it's like, okay, the stakes are a bit higher now because if I just if I, if I risk it here and I die, that means that one other person could potentially find a way to score the 15 points they need to reach their pillow. If all the stars aligned and they don't, and all the bad cards that move the nightmare are at the bottom of the deck or something. So you're, you're a little bit more cognizant of like, I need to make sure I stop with a small enough deck to where they are also nervous too. And the, and that moment on, I think is where the game finally feels like a gamble to me because you're no longer like, I'm just going to push it and see if the game kills me. It's it very quickly uh, in a four player game transitions to, all right, like I could take this risk 
and the payoff would be huge, but the payoff for my opponent, if I bust, could be the end of the game. So I'm going to, I got to be careful and make sure that I take like calculated risk as opposed to just all in, let's see what the cards say, kind of gamble, you know, Um, which I think is really cool um, because like ink and gold, I only really feel that ever in round four or five when it's actually the last round. And it's like, all right, let me see what's happening. And what do I remember about how many rubies they've saved, even though you can't see it. And Wonderland's War, I feel like it's, like you said, it's almost like on the front end that way because it has such a bigger impact on the game state, like you said, which is, it feels right on because it's like, it's built into the mechanics and it has such a huge impact on what, how quickly you can upgrade your board, which has a, such a big impact on the tiles you can get and the upgrades you can get and all that stuff. Um, yeah. Like losing yeah. those, losing those first few battles or feels risking just, it's, just, it's, it's brutal. It's, like, it's fucking it cascades brutal. into just badness. It, <laughs> yeah. it feels so bad. Yeah. Another game that does have gambling elements that just occurred to me, Backgammon. Backgammon is very Oh, gambling. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it has the doubling cube, which is the gamble yes. cube. Like, yeah. yeah. It has the, the, the gambling cube. And even just in the uh, the doubling cube, and even just in the, the mechanics of the game itself, you can make really risky plays hoping that your opponent ro- won't roll to punish you. Right, yeah. And that's like the essence of gambling. Like hoping something happens in your favor. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So it's pretty decent set actually that has sort of a gambling component so my second question for you which type of gamble do you prefer now on the back end of your poker days now that you're just like you know you're a non-poker playing yes you still have you you still kind of are interested potentially in the feeling of gambling maybe maybe not for money but you know just in general like that idea of like i'm gonna push my luck and kind of you know see if the house breaks me or whatever so Guilty of, of these, so of these four now, which one do you think is, uh, is which sensation is more attractive to you now as a, as just a, a gamer as opposed to a, a gambler maybe? Oh boy! Do you, do you seek the big payoff? Hell yeah. yeah! Do you seek the smaller wins? Do you seek somewhere in the between? I try not to discriminate too much. I like yeah. push your luck games just in general. Like I, I play uh, on board game arena. One of my right. most played games on there is Can't Stop and Can't Stop Express. And those oh, yeah. are mm-hmm. very, very solid push your luck games. It's almost it's not completely random, but it's it's a little bit gambling. I, I just like this whole genre. This is the reason why I play poker to begin with. I, I right. just like it a lot. It's probably the big payoff for me. Like overall, Wonderland's War feels the best to me. Even though it's frustrating as hell, because there's a <laughs> lot of skill components in it. <laughs> right. You still have to like build everything right and then gamble on top of that. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Um, sometimes yeah. a friend of the podcast, Francis, just kicks your ass. Yeah, Because he's lucky. Ridiculously lucky. Way, yeah. way too lucky. Every game I play with him, he's just a luck box. He, he, just, yep. he just turns on the luck box and he wins. Um, he pulls out his Mary Poppins bag of luck and just pulls out something. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, you, you, how, how many, what are, the, what are the tiles called? The bad tiles that you pull and you're like, oh, it's a bad Oh, tile. the shards? Yeah, it's just like you yeah. have so many shards in your deck, or you have so many shards in your bag. Oh, um, madness, madness chips. Yeah, you have yeah. so many madness chips in your bag. Like, yeah. look at, like, pull it all out. You have like, like eleven of them, and you miss them all on your last two battles. Somehow, How does that yeah. Even happen? <laughs> like, that's impossible. Like, if it's me, I just draw like four. Draw, off, I'll draw all right in a row. Right, exactly. Same. My yeah, it's how my, it feels. my luck in that game is awful, but I still enjoy it a lot, just because there's a lot of built-in uncertainty. If you're doing a bag builder, that's a random draw. Same with yeah. um, same with Nemesis. Like you never know what's going to pop out of the bag when you spawn something. Right. Sometimes yeah. Same idea. Get unlucky. 
or, or your noise roll or your, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised to say I'm in between. I prefer, I think now that I've sort of, you know, been stretching my game gamer legs a bit more over this episode's arc or this not episode's arc, but the show's arc. And even before that too, um, I think I've landed somewhere where if it's a sort of push your luck gamble feel of a game, I want it to be a little bit lighter and a little bit more chill, I think, than a sort of heavier strategic, like weightier game. Um, mm-hmm. Like like Wonderland's War, for example, uh, it's a great game, designed very well, themed very well. We've talked about it a bunch on the show. Um, and it's got like, a, this is a board game night, like, heft to it right like you could build a board game night around wonderland's war for sure right and i don't know there's something about like okay well this person just got really unlucky and now they're totally fucked kind of like the the possibility of that could be called great game like experience great narrative and great design but it also could be called like oh like decoy just got shit luck and now he's three rounds behind and there's only two rounds left so he's pretty much done like he if he can claw back he'll claw back to a decent fourth place instead of ultra utterly destroyed fourth place and you can kind of see it if someone gets really unlucky in a gamble style game like that some games are just like oh he just he got fucked like he like it was a one in 12 draw that he would have died and he drew it right and i think i've sort of transitioned into a little bit more of like a um, you know, uh, betrayal style or cosmic frog or brass or arc nova or you know, so all, all of these games, scythe, even even though I don't really like that one, but like this style where it's like if there's risk taking, it's like small moments where it's like I'm gonna gamble that you don't have the, the bird ambush right now in this particular isolated moment, not like as a whole for my like yeah. quote unquote bigger game. I think I've sort of transitioned into that feel now, which I'm surprised actually, because I love the like, oh shit, like I want to p- push my luck, see how I do, right? Like I, I kind of do have that sort of, uh, like I'm pulled towards that a bit, I think. Not like maybe a lot of, like there's, I know there's a lot of players who are like, you know, adrenaline junkies when it comes to that kind of thing. Like that's definitely not me, but over like the past months, I've sort of started to realize like, like if Nucleum, for example, last night we were learning Nucleum um, for our listeners who are interested uh if it had if if todd was like all right you know here's all the mechanics and stuff and also like the main thing you're doing is gambling and creating this sort of like mini gamble game within what you're doing i'd have been like oh i'm not playing this like i already i know i would have been like no it's like it's gonna take too long and then i'm gonna fuck it up and then everyone's gonna win and i'm gonna have no chance and i don't care if i don't win but like i want to at least when I figure out the game at some point in the teaching of the game or in the next game I play, I want to be able to say, Oh, I figured this out and I can start to feel like I'm doing something that is good and that it's making progress. And I don't know if I can tell the difference between I'm having shit fucking luck right now. And I still don't know how to play the game yet. Cause they both on the surface look like a loss sometimes. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's where I'm at with it, which means I kind of like this one. It's, and that's, I think, part of why I like this one, because it's light enough, quick enough, simple enough to where you can kind of just push your luck with it sometimes, see how it goes. Like Jessica still will play Shibi Time, even though she just had that bad experience. And sounds like we've maybe hooked Decoy. Uh, you can speak for yourself on that one. Um, into yeah, wanting some... to play it again, right? Yeah, but even though you had yeah, the I'll, shitty I'll... experience, right? So... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like, I can see why this game is good. I don't know yeah. if it's good for me, but I understand why it's 
popular or as popular as a game can be considering I'd yeah. never heard of it until you mentioned it. And you're the right. only, still the only person I know who has ever talked about it without, oh. without being prompted for it. I know there's a few people on the server who have brought it up occasionally, but right. Um, but yeah, this, for a game that doesn't actually get a lot of play on here, it does look interesting. Like I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm down to, I'm down to try it. I have to Hell yeah, baby. Plays, like a few real plays. Cause I didn't actually get that. Um, one one interesting thing to add, based on you talking about your relationship with push your luck games. Oh yeah, we're gonna have a really interesting time when we cover mahjong. Oh okay, because I don't know how you're gonna react to it. Oh yeah, I'm excited to to learn it. That's a hundred percent. Yeah, so th- that exists. The, the push your luck elements of that game exist in kind of an interesting place. And okay, yeah. That'll be. A, I'm glad we're doing it soon, then, so we can kind of reflect over the next couple of weeks on that with this, and like we can kind of see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to put together a game because I know we have shockingly in 2023 we have like six people who want to learn how to play mahjong, which is awesome. Exactly That's three or four. So awesome. Like, like I don't know why people want to learn that game, but we're I'm teaching it, and I'm very excited about it because it's yeah. very culturally significant for me. And it's nice to teach a game to people that is close to your heart. Um, yeah. But the hell really, yeah, man. Really, really quickly. At some point in that game, you're going to have to make a choice about a path to go down. And one Uh-oh. of the paths is going to be low probability, high return. And another path will be high probability and low return. And there might be a Woof. medium path, too. Yeah. And you're going to have to choose. And it drives some people crazy. In that game, you have to judge so many different factors simultaneously. And usually there is a right answer to that question, like mathematically. Right. right. For, for a game that's like seemingly as casual, I don't know if people think of Mahjong as being a casual game. It's probably... Like, it's yeah. very analytical. You can break down all of your decisions, and there are a lot of them. And there's usually a correct answer. At worst, it's like a marginal decision. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how you'll react to that in real time because everybody reacts to it differently. Once you oh, understand that's, I'm excited. Hell yeah, I'm excited. That's going to be a fun... All right. Yeah, I'm, that's going to be a really fun like experiment. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, I think the witching hour is upon us. So yeah. um, the weight of this game, I think you're going to have a really good guess today but i have a i have a gut feeling well, i'm I've, well, i'm gonna I'm push not. my luck now that you said that like <laughs> you ruined it oh god i think That's you're gonna nail it um so for our listeners while decoy's uh, getting his ducks in a row here so um the bgg weight of this game uh in terms of like it's you know complexity and it's like how heavy it is to to teach and to explain and to understand or what have you um so our heaviest right now go 3.94 brass just barely underneath it at 3.89 Arc Nova is 3.73. Those are our sort of three uh, meatiest, if you will, and heaviest uh, games. Um, our lightest, uh, Kerplunk, Ink and Gold, Guess Who, Mousetrap, those are all like basically one flat, like 1.0 to 1.1 um, range. And then we have a middle ra- middle range of like Nefetoffel, Wingspan, Fort. That's like two and a half, 2.4, somewhere in there, right? Um, so this game, Sheepy Time, uh, has a suggested, uh, not suggested, but has a uh, a weight. Um, and I'm curious, Decoy. Uh, so last week, we covered Betrayal. Well, two weeks ago, because we had Rukon. Um, so the last episode uh, for our listeners was Betrayal. 
that game's weight is 2.39. So I kind of have a thing where I want you to maybe potentially go from there each week. Uh, now that we've got so many games on here um, and you can be like, all right, since, since that's when we just covered, and then you can sort of like have your shot in the dark from your, from like a, a starting point, if you will. Um, so how would you compare this to portrayal in terms of weight before you start moving up and down the slider scale here? Gotta be lower. hundred percent lower. I think. Okay. No I doubt think. lower. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> lighter. Sure. Two point two lighter than two point three nine. Do you think it's under two? I'll let, I'll let you go from here. Yeah, I was gonna guess one point nine. Ooh, <laughs> right, just barely under under two. Um, so our for listeners, backgammon's at two flat. Stratego one point eight five. So right in between backgammon and Stratego. Yeah, why do you think uh, in between those two? Um, I feel like you're doing the teacher thing, and I just got a question really really wrong. And you're saying, please explain to the class. <laughs> I can explain how wrong you are after you say the stupid thing. Oh, um, no, no, that's not what it, I'm doing. It's got to be, it's like, uh, comparing this to backgammon, I feel like backgammon's heavier. It, it okay. feels heavier to me, thematically and also mechanically. But I don't know. This could be totally wrong. This, this seems a little bit more than Stratego and a little bit less than backgammon. Interesting. Yeah, so backgammon, I haven't, I haven't thought about the game in a while because I don't really like it. Um, but backgammon to me looks heavy and scary and is actually pretty light. It's I not feel that like. bad. Yeah. It's not that bad. Yeah. And then Stratego, I feel like, needs to be higher comparatively. Like, I would put Stratego over backgammon if I was making a wait list, like, every time. Yeah, probably. Um, it's different. Yeah. It, it's, so di- it's just so difficult to compare these things because those, those games are completely, completely different. Different, different things. Yeah. Um, Interesting, yeah. So right in between. So um, your official guess was 1.9. Uh, listeners, uh, the weight of Sheepy Time is 1.86. Really? Yes. So you, my friend, as I thought, hit it right on the head, basically. 0.04 off, to me, is a correct guess. Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's about as close as it gets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so 1.86. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah I, well, I guessed it. I, I think that's that's about right. I, do you I, think... I say that... Backgammon does feel heavier just because yeah. there is, there's more you have to kind of conceptualize as far as placement, I guess. I don't know what the correct term for that is in backgammon. Where, where, you, place, where you place your marbles, where you place mm-hmm. your... Um, the like tiles, the chits yeah, or whatever? Yeah, where, where, yeah. And what your opponent is trying to do. Like There's always technically a mathematically correct answer, but it doesn't ever feel like that. It feels like you should go for it sometimes. It feels yeah. like, based on the board position, you can have more liberties with what you're trying to do. And that's a difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around. Sheepy Time, I don't know. It's, it's, that's, that's tough because I haven't played it really, really. Right, but, yeah, you had the cheat game, basically, yeah. Yeah. So what would you say? Is there always, like, is there, in that game, is there always a correct thing you should be doing? Like, given the board state. Is yeah, like an obvious I, answer usually. I think after you've played about, we'll say five, maybe for the sake of the argument, games. I think you start to understand maybe like least what like you. I think you start to understand what will cause me to die the least amount of times. What decision can I make based on where the and you? That's it's of a couple things. It's the tiles that are out, um, like the the power up tiles the where the monster is in relation to you and um 
where you are on the point tracker compared to the other players who are still in. And I think you can take, you can take a look at those three things pretty quick, see your hand and be like, the right decision is this um, with, with pretty good accuracy. So like, I'll give you a very brief example. So let's say the Deco and I are playing and one other person is eliminated already. And the monster is at uh, five and there are only seven cards left in the deck and four of them are like monster jumps. Okay. That's like 50% chance that it's going to be like the monster will end the round before I get my next turn. And I just jump the fence. I'm quitting now and pretty good chance that they'll die 50% chance or whatever it is. Right. So like you can kind of see the cards left, see the, the probability on average and make a good decision. There's also a situation where you're like, all right, I'm at tile two and I just crossed the fence and the monster, the nightmare is at tile six. He can't go backwards. He can only go forwards. So I can physically not get eliminated unless I go in front of him. And it's still pretty early on. Like a lot of nightmare cards got pulled early. So the majority of the deck that's left is very likely going to be action cards. So I'm just going to sit behind the monster and I'm just going to place a Z every action place the Z side of the thing. And I'm going to get all my action tile, like all my action cubes basically, and place them on all of the power up tiles so that when I start moving, I can pick which one I want to land on and which one I want to activate when, and you can keep drawing. And some of them are like score points. You can be like, Oh, I'm just going to play this card and score three points right now. And you can kind of bide your time and wait for the deck to thin and wait for the other people to make their decisions and kind of react to what they do and strike like exactly when you want to quote unquote, maybe not strike because it's really not like a tactical like war game in that way. But like oftentimes, for example, I'll find myself at the early part of the round, I'll get to a spot where I'm safe and then I'll just do the non-movement side to like get myself ready for the, the push. And then the push is I'm going to try and like cross the fence. Like every time I play a card now, I'm going to play a card that puts me here and I'm going to use that action to go here. And then I'm gonna use that action to cross the fence and then I'm going to draw and then I'm gonna do it again. And then I'm going to do it again. So I'm basically scoring five or seven points every card I play so that I can make a late push and try and pass whoever I need to pass. And then I quit like right before the monster crosses kind of deal. Um, And I think after about five games or so, the average player or the average gamer could like sort of come to that sort of conclusion where they're like, oh, I'm safe right here. So I'm just going to bide some time and then I'm going to strike sort of style. And I think that's quote unquote, like correct. I don't know, maybe not like, in a strategic, I should do this in order to win every time way, because the randomness of the deck draw is pretty, you know, it keeps it pretty variable. But I think there's like a, the probability is in my favor type of correct move based on just those things, which is not that much once you've internalized the mechanics a bit, which doesn't take that many games. All right. So I think if I'm understanding this correctly, I got this right, that it, it, it's going to take you... Backgammon has a very similar thing going on. You will you will roll your die and you'll see all your options available, just like you have your cards in Sheepy Time, and you yeah, yeah. see the four things that you can do. And it takes a lot longer to internalize what the correct thing to do is in Backgammon. You won't I think get so. anywhere close to that in five games. It takes yeah. many, many more games. So, yeah, I, I, think, this, I think this jives. I think uh, Sheepy Time is going to be a little bit lighter. Yeah, that's actually interesting because 
I usually don't agree with the weight. I'm usually like, eh, maybe it should be a little higher or a little bit lower or whatever. But yeah, I do think that yeah, this one feels about right. Shibi time maybe feels like it's about right, like give or take, right? Like yeah, yeah, it's that's kind of sweet too. Like it's it's light enough yet. There's just there's some there's enough strategy. I think like ink and gold, for example, just to keep comparing it to that one before we get to the ranking. Ink and gold is the classic like you just decide to keep going and mine or not. And maybe I died, maybe I didn't. And then you have the same decision again until you choose to not make that decision or you die. It's like you, you, that's literally the game. I just explained it to you again. Now you know how to play, right? Super light. Also, our listeners will remember uh, Ink and Gold 1.1. It's about as light as it gets. And I really like that this one has just enough weight, which I guess according to BGG's site, which, you know, take that for what it will, According to BGG, it's 0.7 different on average, right? So 0.7 weight from 1.1 to 1.8 provides the like perfect almost amount of strategic agency into this puzzle that is the gamble, push your luck mechanic design. So that yeah. like it's not just decide one decision, yes or no, the game, which is what Ink and Gold is, it's like, okay, well, I can choose to quit playing or not and see, but only when I jump the fence. If, I don't, if I've just jumped the fence and then I draw, I don't get to quit until I get all the way around to the, the, to the fence again and jump it another time. So I have to, it's like, will I continue, which could be like two or three cards, not just every single time, new decision, choose, right? And within that, just that little bit of a change and the action tiles and the alternate way you can use the cards and the other players all having that same choice, it adds like just enough of a decision tree to where it's not overwhelming and doesn't take forever to internalize like backgammon, like you just said. But it is so much more satisfying when you start to like see that in this game, I think, which is what makes it, I think, so special because it's it's not overboard. It's not, well, it's weird to say Wonderland's War does it overboard, but like Wonderlands where weight is it's a heavy duty game right so it has yeah. that but it's like there's a shit ton of weight that comes along with an experience like that and this is like it's like Wonderlands War light but obviously it's not House Wonderland and it's a much different game right but it has that similar sort of edge to it it's just scaled way down but not so far down like Ink and Gold to where it feels sometimes trivial or too easy like it's like oh okay Ink and Gold is great but you know we just played for five hours and we need a 20 minute game. That's perfect. But you know, if you play the two hour game and you have another hour, you don't want to play in gold five times, maybe. Right. So it's like, well, she yeah. times she time fits now perfectly right in that little window. And it's like, Oh, it's so, <laughs> it's just so it's, I don't know all of that. It's just so all of that, whatever that word is. <laughs> yeah. This game hits you right in the right place in on a lot of different, axes like it's the right amount of rng it's the right amount of time commitment it's the right amount of theming it's the right amount of player interaction yeah right amount of gambling right amount of right amount yeah, of gambling. It's just, yeah it's like goldilocks's three bears wait hold on no no it's is that goldilocks <laughs> is it who's the one that gets in the third bed is that <laughs> i think that's goldilocks right um i'm gonna let you figure that one out for yourself i think it's Goldilocks. yeah so it's it's goldilocks's third bed like baby's baby's bowl of porridge style, like whittled into a game. Like oh, uh, anyway. <sighs> so, um, 
do you have a starting point decoy for where we want to put this on this list of, Hey, 31 games, everybody uh, that we've got that we've covered so far. Do you have a top third, middle third, bottom third? Do you have another idea that you're thinking in terms of like where you think it might land before I kind of share my two cents? This is, this is the the major issue and the thing that we're trying to avoid for this entire season for season two yep i had a feeling you were gonna say this we we need to play the game enough to really talk about it and i have not played the game enough to really talk about it this one in particular just because of circumstances and things and uh and the root sort of live getting like destroyed didn't get knocked out of the tournament (laughs) fast enough so we didn't get to play enough of this game so i don't know you take the lead yeah yeah so here's what i'm thinking and i think you will agree once you've played it more that this is maybe close to correct so I'm my eye is immediately drawn to corridor, which on our list right now for our sure. listeners is number is number 14. Um, so Catan is right beneath it at 15 scythe right above it at 13. And I think sheepy time fits right beneath corridor right above Catan. And here's, I think my main reasoning behind it. Um, it's a great game. I think that anyone could sit down to this game and find enjoyment out of it it's it's themed well it's age appropriate for most ages i think the ages on the box is something like eight and up right so for the most part as long as you kind of you know hold hands a bit through the um like some of the like the only challenging thing really i guess is the action cube mechanic with the like powers you know so if you can kind of hold hands through that a little bit it'll it'll strike anyone as young as eight according to the box and up and it's a lovely like broad paintbrush style genre right like it'll you know like that feeling of gambling is a feeling that oftentimes people like oh okay well i might not like you know this game what fill in the blank right but it does have a little gambling component so i'll try it and kind of see because like you know that's attractive to a lot of people and i think that design wise it's like corridor-esque but i think corridor has a better two-player to four-player variety built into it to where sheepy time's not going to be able to to pass it um, because it, they feel like they're similarly designed games to me, and I don't really want to put sheepy time beneath Catan because I feel like the baggage that comes with Catan for a lot of people, despite how great of a thing that it was that, and that it like helped start and that it exists in that game, so many people see and think and know Catan that it comes with this just added layer of like. Ugh, Catan, right? Like whatever that is, that sort of feeling, that taste, whatever. So I think like, you know, for example, let's say you just played Root, you played for two and a half hours. Everybody's got about an hour left before they want to go home. Well, you could play Catan and play quick, but people are going to potentially groan. You could play Corridor, but if you have, you know, three people, well, you can't really play Corridor at three, right? So that is a, a, a bummer for that one. This game has like a great little thing where like, Almost in any situation, especially if people have a decent understanding of it already and have played it before, could be like, yeah, I'd, I'd play that. I feel like there's so few times when you'll hear a board game person or a board game group who's seen it and knows it to be like, ugh, I don't like, not now. Like that that same Catan taste where it's like, ugh, Catan, right? Whatever that you want to call that, 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 uh, that taste. I don't think I've ever heard anyone be like, ugh, sheepy time. It's always like, yeah, I'd play that. Maybe you're not yes, like, I definitely want to, but it's like, I'll know I'll have a good time and I'll be able to strategize a bit, but it's not too tough. And I like the feeling like it has so many things going for it 
good. It's not like perfect in any way. And it's not great. It's not like, you know, Arc Nova. It's not brass. It's not these sort of like highly well, just like perfectly beautifully designed, like just, you know, it's not anything like that, but it's such a good little, like, it's like, it hits so many good nerves, I guess, that it fits, I think, above the ugh, Catan taste. You should call it Catan fatigue. Catan fatigue, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it has, it doesn't have Catan fatigue, but I do think Corridor has, I think Sheepy Time has an easier appeal and is maybe like easier to table, but I do think Corridor's like decision space is a lot more interesting to explore uh, yeah. and excites me more like as a four player experience, for example, than Sheepy Time does. Because Sheepy Time's just got that like, okay, let's gamble and you know, you could have the fucked up game where somebody scores 37 in a solo player mode corridor doesn't have that built into the design corridor's design is too tight for that to ever happen um so that's i think where it probably belongs if this was just me doing this by myself so I'm, i'll be curious when we get to re-rank and when we get to like when we get an opportunity to play it more now that rootcon is done and now that we can sort of you know play it together like you know digitally facetime style whatever we'll be able to sort of see how much that holds up yeah. yeah so that's that's where i'm that's where i'm at and i think it's going to be unless you have like a significant like you know whatever about Catan and corridor i think that's i think where it should go yeah the the, the only the only disagreement i might have is is Catan. like that's that's right in where i'm generally thinking that it should be like i might change my mind after we play this a little bit more and, yeah, yeah yeah but i think i think that's fine for now i think okay. i could I could sit here and uh, yell about Catan being important and how not everyone, including myself, actually has Catan fatigue because I haven't played Catan that much. Right, but right, right. For now, it's fine. Like, would I rather play this or Catan right now? I'd rather play Sheepy Time. Yeah, see? Like, both, both of those games are actually kind of fresh for me. Like, I haven't explored Catan enough. And I also haven't yeah, explored yeah. Sheepy Time enough. But Sheepy Time is way more interesting to me. Even though Catan yeah. also sort of has... has that's another game that kind of has gambling elements to it. Like you're you're gambling. Um, yeah, on where on, on the resources and resources. The, yeah. And I'm in my few games of Catan that I've had. I'm notorious for gambling that no one's going to roll the seven. I think that's what that is, right? <laughs> yeah. I have lost uh, holding too many resources, and yeah, feels bad. Yeah, it does feel feels pretty bad. I do it again though. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe we, you know, uh, do, but see, can you, so here, here's my thing, right? We, we uh, go into our, our server. We're like, Hey guys, uh, we're like, we got room for one more on this Catan ship. Like the Nemesis, like the Nemesis cruise ship's about to leave. Right. Come on in. Yeah. But the Catan version, it, there's about to be fucking crickets, right? People like, nobody, oh, yeah. Yeah, nobody's you know what I mean? Catan. Like zero people <laughs> are signing up to play Catan. So that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So we'll see, I think as we go, um, yeah, man, this, this game, like the fact that the narrative, man, I still, I've still come back. Like, I still think about it. Like I, I took it to my parents, uh, Monday for, we do like a, uh, dinner board game thing on Monday nights. Um, and I took sheepy time over there, but we ended up not playing it. But, uh, like my, my wife was like, Oh, we should take sheepy time again. Like, that's a great one. And my parents like it and you know, it's easy. It's fun. And I was like, all the way over there, I was like, oh, man, like I still, ha I still couldn't believe that we had the fucking like, you know, one in a hundred or one in a million or whatever combo that makes it so that those cards kill us, except for one person. Like I still, 
I don't think it's okay. All right, listeners, spoiler or not spoiler, but this is my bet to end the episode today. I'm going to make a bet on in, in front of everyone. There will never again be a game of Sheepy Time that I play. I'm guessing, and I would put money on it, I think, where that exact combo of one person left so early that no tiles are out and the deck is fat in a four-player game and everyone else got killed immediately by the uh, the nightmare except for the first player who happened to move and then kill everyone with the two cards back-to-back. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. And then they get an opportunity to just solo solitaire and win. Like, I don't... I would... I would be utterly shocked if that ever happens again. As you may know about me, I like I'm calling my shot. (laughs) Thanks. Put money on it, bitch. (laughs) We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to figure out like parameters and things because I feel like that's gonna happen again. Just a gut feeling. It's not gonna be exactly like that though. It's gonna be like two people get eliminated very quickly, and then the third person gets eliminated three turns later, and then it's one person soloing the rest of the. The, the thing well that's different because that then there's some decision space like the fact so that that is that could happen the fact that no, the three of us didn't even have an opportunity to take a single action out of our hand is what i'm talking about like player I one happened with two people like you said three. it could happen with two for sure one person gets eliminated accidentally and now you have time but the two-player deck is so much thinner the two-player deck's only 30 cards which you add not, the 10 not- it makes 40 not two players, it, it happening to two players in a four-player game. So oh, like two get knocked out and then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I feel like that's something that's going to happen to me again. I know, I know how lucky I am at games like this. Yeah, yeah. The way my luck works in games, I'm extremely, extremely lucky in some games and extremely unlucky in other games. This is an unlucky game for me. Just like one. You already games. know, going in, it's, yeah. Yeah, that game is an unlucky game. I don't know what it is about Wonderland's War, but I get shafted on on bad draws all the time. <laughs> Every single time, I lose because of that bad draw. I feel like that's going to happen to me with Sheepy Time. I'm going to get eliminated before I, I get to take a turn. Yeah, Jessica, play. It's gonna Jessica had that happen to her a couple times, and she was like, "Man," but like she had it. It was the only time that I'd seen it happen consistently to one person over the course of one game. Like, yeah. I feel like every game of Sheepy Time I've ever played, one person, one round gets like kind of fucked on RNG a little bit. But then the next round, like the turn order does change in the between rounds and the opportunity to go earlier in the turn is offered to the person who's in last place. So it's very seldom is the same turn order and therefore the same person going last, which is the most likely scenario where they might not get a turn. Because if they got they didn't get a turn one round, then they're probably first the next round is kind of the idea to kind of help prevent that from happening multiple times in one game. And typically what you'll see is like everybody playing has one round that they just kind of whiff and then they, you know, they do better the next one. As opposed to the like, you know, the massive, the massive, <laughs> the massive whoopsie, we'll call it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited yeah, to see how it goes. The accidental. <laughs> So yeah, let's um yes. Yeah, so there you go. The, the the bet is out. The jury is out. The stakes are high. Uh, we'll play sheepy time and figure out. We'll we'll keep playing and we'll see we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, guaranteed. I'm getting shafted. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. 
Getting Gamey is produced by me, Mark Overstreet, a.k.a. Squid. And by me, Ray, a.k.a. Decoy. Music by Pixbay.com. Thank you.